0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I will be reading from the ESV. And it reads, When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, That they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word.
1: Well he is risen family. He is risen indeed. We gotta do that again. He is risen family. He is risen indeed. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you're ready to study them uh, we 're going to continue uh, in our series through the Gospel, according to Mark a series uh, we began in february and and this resurrection Sunday, what I want to invite you to do is to remember for those of you who have been with us throughout this series is to remember and and if, and if, and if you haven 't been with us to call your attention to okay, the kingly authority of Jesus. Christ, Mark, the author of this gospel, has been laboring in his writing to illustrate for us the kingly authority, this this king Jesus who holds all power and all authority in every realm and space. But before we can see this, we see that this theme has brought with it in from chapter 1 into chapter 2. And it shows us that Jesus, we've seen in chapter 1, that Jesus has authority over the physical and the spiritual. And our text here continues to show that, but now ushers in a new level of his authority over the perceived authorities of the religious and political spheres as well. But more specific to our text, what we see is two things. The needs of man, and the authoritative power of Jesus Christ. So would you pray for me as I pray for you as together we hear from God this morning? Would you pray, God, we come to you with humble hearts to hear from you this morning. God, would you gift us together with clarity and understanding of your word? Would you gift the hearers this morning with attentiveness and grace for my errors? And would you gift me, the speaker, with clarity of speech and thought to proclaim the good news of your son? We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. If I could, I could just make this plain to you right now. Uh, Central theme of our time this morning is Jesus has the ultimate power to satisfy all the needs of men. That is to say that Jesus has the authority and the power to satisfy your needs. Amen. Jesus has the power to satisfy every deep longing in our hearts and every surfaced issue of our bodies. May we never lose sight of this. May we never lose confidence in our king's willingness and ability to deliver us. So with that in our minds, I want us to go through the text as it's read. And we'll stop and have moments of reflection and application. But overall, I have three areas of expressed authority of Jesus to lay before you. And they won't be in chronological order, but I believe we need to see them in this way. And then I'll be out your way. All right. So let's begin. Jesus began in chapter one. We see Jesus began his public ministry here in the town of Capernaum. I mean, just a page before, if you remember, he made Capernaum sort of his base of operations, his place of residence. And he visited the synagogue there. And what did he do? He taught. Right? He taught. And it's there in the Capernaum synagogue that we see, and this is very important, that we see the power and preeminence of Jesus' word. Right? Right? Chapter 1 verses 21 through 22 says, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority. So he teaches there, the Bible says, with authority and to further display the authority of his word, he casts a demon out of a man. Verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands, that is to say, he did it with his word. He commands even the unclean spirit and they obey him. This moment is just astounding to the people in this town. And word travels fast that that evening, the whole town gathers to Jesus, bringing him all the sick and all the possessed. And and Jesus begins to heal them. But notice, family, they were not there for the sermons. They were not there for the sermons. The first thing he did was preach, but they were focused on the miracle. They didn't even see the sermon in the miracle. And after a night of healing, the next morning, Jesus gets up to pray and the disciples come to him and they say, let's go. Let's go back to town. Let's go finish this work. And verse 38, he says to him, no, let us go to the next towns that I may preach. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. But where we find him this morning is back in Capernaum. Jesus comes back. And everyone finds out that he's back and they crowd what we think is Peter's home. They crowd it. And so what does Jesus do? He lets them in. He lets them in. And so they pack in the house and the overflow is just hanging out between all the doorways and the windows. They're trying to hear everything that Jesus is saying. They're there to hear him preach. Emily, there is a clear Emphasis, a clear focus on the authoritative power of Jesus' words. Jesus is there to preach and the people there to listen. But turn your attention for just one second to the four friends. The faith of these Brothers, they knew that Jesus could heal this man. They believed it, even if their friend did not which we don't know if he did or didn't. But even if his friend did it, they trusted the words of this rabbi. They were probably in the synagogue that day Jesus taught. They, they were probably amongst the crowd of people who came to see Jesus heal. But what we know for sure was that they heard him and they believed In him. And what did they do? They brought their friend to the Savior. They picked him up by his bed and carried him to Jesus. But they met their first obstacle. The crowd was too much. They, they probably asked people to move. They probably tried to push their way in, but the crowd did not let them. If we can just look at the posture of the multitudes right now, it's staggering. And let this show you that around Jesus doesn't mean with Jesus. Around Jesus doesn't mean with Jesus. Jesus Church, to be with Jesus means you are with him in his compassion, means you are with him in his kindness, means that you have heard his words in such a way that you are transformed. You are no longer the same some of you here this morning need the faith of these boys some of you this morning have people that you quit praying for some of you have people that you stopped walking with some of you have friends that you're letting stay in the darkness and you encountered one setback and you said no that was it I'm done there's nothing for it but no the source of these boys' faith was not in themselves the source of their faith was not in their emotional bandwidth the the source of their faith was not in their physical ability to do anything the source was this man jesus preaching in the middle of the crowd and because he was the source of their faith they wanted him for his friend Amen. they did whatever it took to see the savior they wanted for him what they already had themselves These boys wanted for their friend the same liberation, the same freedom, the same deliverance. They did not let the discouragement of the crowd paralyze them from doing their work. They did not let the crowd failing them stop, change, or alter what they knew to be true, that Jesus saves sinners. Well, for some of you, the reverse is true. Some of you are here because someone never stopped pleading to the Lord for you. Some of you are here because someone never stopped working to bring you to the Savior. Some of you can appreciate more closely the heart of these four brothers And you can testify what Spurgeon says, better to come to Christ through the ceiling than to not come to Christ at all. Better to be let down by him by a rope than not be in his presence. But imagine for a second now, Jesus is preaching in this house, this small house. It wasn't wasn't a rich house. It was a fisherman's house, if we're guessing it's Peter's house. He's preaching in this house and all of a sudden they hear footsteps on the roof. And then from footsteps they hear digging. And then, and then as, as he's as he's preaching, as he's teaching, debris starts to, to fall. Well, the roofs were made of clay and dirt. All right? so it's like debris just starts to fall. It starts to fall on everyone. You could just imagine the awkward pin-drop quiet. And everyone just kind of looking up and looking at Jesus, of like, what are you gonna do right now? And then all of a sudden, a light starts to crack through the roof and there's a little hole and you hear people talking right and then that hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then they start dropping a man down from the roof it's ridiculous. I, I, i imagine peter if you're peter in this moment you're probably conflicted like guys my roof really I just imagine, like this ain't in the Bible, but I just I just imagine like Peter, like, guys, guys, come on, and, and just these four friends, like whatever it takes. And Jesus comes to the paralytic. They drop him down, and Jesus comes up to him, pin drop, quiet, and he says, Son. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. It says that the paralytic rose up immediately, grabbed his things, and ran out the house. The crowd watching began to glorify God. What an amazing story. But in between the forgiveness of sins, And the healing words of rise, get your things and go. We have this moment where in the quiet of the shock, Jesus speaks to a group of men who haven't said a word. The scribes were in this home. Meaning that they were they were probably the first ones there. And we know that they weren't standing. They were sitting. So they were in a place of honor at the home. The scribes, if you're like, who were they? They're, they're like the religious elite. These were guys who were learned men whose job it was to study Old Testament law. But for all the Bible reading and all the memorization they did, they also went beyond interpreting scripture by adding many man-made traditions behind it. They were people who knew God's word but didn't know God's heart. And so oftentimes they made these traditions and these man-made rules more important than the scriptures themselves. The scribes whose job it was to preserve the word of God in its teaching actually lessened it, cheapened it by creating and enforcing traditions that they themselves handed down. I mean, to put it more simply, these are the dudes who are the epitome Of around Jesus doesn't mean with Jesus. Jesus tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes in their minds, in their hearts, in their own like quiet place of themselves are protesting. They're saying to themselves, who is he? Who is he that he can forgive sins? Only God can do that. This guy, this guy is a blasphemer. And Jesus looks directly at them. They haven't uttered a word. They have not even made a sound. Jesus looks directly at them. And he says, Mark 2, verse 8, and he says, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here's our first point of emphasis this morning. Jesus has the authority to read our hearts. Jesus looks at the scribes and he sees right through them. He sees right through their questioning and accusing hearts, and he speaks directly to it. These men came in with bad intentions. They came in with bad motives. They wanted to find fault, carefully listening to everything Jesus was saying. But though they had open ears, they didn't know that Jesus could see through their closed hearts. Look at the condescending tone. Who does this man or why does this man speak like that? How do we know that Jesus wasn't just taking a lucky guess? How do we know that Jesus wasn't just reading their faces? The answer is because he speaks directly to their accusations. What they thought in their hearts was that contemptuous tone of who is this man? And Jesus says, I am the son of man. I'm not just some dude. I'm not just some fellow. I am the Son of Man, a title that is associated with his suffering, humiliation, and death. Why is it important that he tells these learned men of the Old Testament, I'm the Son of Man? Because he knows that they know Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 that says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. and he, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. When he says, I'm the son of man, that's what he's talking about. The son of man just isn't a title of his humanity. It's a title of his authority. Jesus has the authority to read their hearts. And I submit to you this morning, family, this Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus has the authority to read our hearts. He knows, he knew, sorry, what was in the hearts of those scribes. And he knows what's in our hearts as well. Every secret thought. Every hidden motive and desire, every questioning, accusation, and the root of it. You can have no secret before him, no hidden idea. He knows all of the sin that's done in the darkness. No one escapes his gaze and no one can move past his eyes. Could you sit with the weight of that for just one second that you are constantly naked before him? Can't you feel all of what that means? Hold on to this weight. Hold on to it. And then look at the paralytic. And see in him yourself as well. The paralytic has two very apparent needs he needs a physical healing, but more importantly, and I cannot stress this enough, more importantly, He needs a spiritual one. And family, can I just, can I tell you now that Jesus is enough for him? Which means that Jesus is enough for you. That Jesus is enough for me. Here's our second point. Jesus has the authority to deal with the physical matters of this world. He needed A physical healing. But most important was not the paralytic's need to walk. It was his spiritual condition. But his physical need was evident. He was paralyzed. He was confined to a portable bed. And Jesus acknowledges that as a secondary. But secondary doesn't mean absent. Secondary does not mean forgotten. Jesus speaks to this man's paralysis. And when he speaks... He is healed. When Jesus speaks, everything has to <laughs> obey. He has that much authority, that much power, that his sovereignty is over everything. See, see this church. Why does Jesus care about his paralysis? Why, if he? Forgave his sins. Why did he also need to forgive his paralysis as well? The most important thing was done. Why do the next thing? Because every physical plight we feel in this world, every headache, every upset stomach, every allergic reaction, every sickness, every disability, every ailment testifies that this world is not as it should be. Nothing here in this world is sovereign. Disease is not sovereign, sickness is not sovereign, none of it, not even death. I call you to look at the cross this morning. Our Savior died on that Friday evening, but on Sunday morning, that tomb was rolled away and the heavens declared, He is alive. Not even death was sovereign over Him, but rather He was sovereign over death. We celebrate this resurrection Sunday that nothing is more sovereign than our King. All authority is given to him so that nothing can overpower or cancel his word. But church, it gets better. Our last point, Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins. This this is the greatest news of all. Our ultimate need is not to be rid of our physical maladies, but to be reconciled to our maker. This is chief among our needs because even our physical needs are effects of our greatest one. You don't have your physical conditions because you sin. You have them because sin broke the world. Sin is at the root of all of our suffering and we need someone to deal with that problem. We need someone who has power, who has authority over sin and death. This is our ultimate need. Who has the power to rescue us? Who has the authority to bring salvation to us? Who has the power and the might to fight on behalf of his people to be free from sin and death? Who can deliver us from the supposed king of this world? I am reminded of my favorite scene in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and it takes place in the movie Black Panther. T'Challa is king and chief warrior of Wakanda. He's not a king who sits on the throne and just governs. No, he's a king who suits up and protects his people with his life. And one day, a man named Najaka comes to challenge him for the throne. He mocks and discredits the king. He calls him a false king and a liar. And he challenges T'Challa for the throne in combat. And in the fight, it seems that T'Challa is killed, buried in the waters of Wakanda. And Killmonger proclaims, himself kings and he rules with this iron fist and oppresses all those who rise up against him the people they're disheartened the people are sad they see no hope anywhere else hopeless defeated and one day while killmonger is outside making sure his plans for evil are coming together a ship is destroyed and Kilmonger looks into the land to see who, who could do such a thing. Who dares challenges me? T'Challa rises from the debris and he says, I have not yielded. And as you can see, I am not dead. Church, we have a warrior king who lived a perfect life and chose to die a death, deserved for the ones who, who has sinned because he knew no sin, but chose to be a substitute, chose to take the death of another, chose to take our death. It was our sin that he took to the cross. It was our sin that he took to the hill of Calvary when he died. And he looked, and it looked, it looked like all hope was lost. It looked like our sin was too much to bear. That our death was too high a price. And our king returns to us with arms stretched and says, I never yielded. And as you can see, I am not dead. Oh, church, I wish someone knew the power of the resurrection this morning. The resurrection was for you, church. The resurrection was for me. Just as the paralytic getting up to walk was evidence of his sins, that his sins were forgiven. The resurrection is evidence that the sacrificial death of Christ worked for us. Jesus is alive and the evidence is that we are redeemed. And the only response for us now, the only response of the people is to glorify God like the crowd, to glorify him, to sing. The blood washes white as snow. The blood can make me whole. It paid the debt I owe. The blood has made me whole. Would you stand for worship with me this morning?